Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Mindframe Podcast Sit Down. Um, these are the bonus episodes that will normally be reserved for our patrons, where we talk a little bit more in depth about the chapter, um, which was the episode just before this one. So you probably don't want to listen to this sit down if you haven't listened to chapter one. Um, but we're going to talk about the chapter. Of course, we're always going to walk on that razor's edge of questions that are informative, but I will have to bow out of questions that will be spoilers because I don't want to ruin anything that's that's getting set up or that's going to get revealed in 100 pages or 200 pages um, of text or, you know, 10, 15 uh, podcasts later, you know, I ruin a surprise by answering a question right now. So um, I'm going to, we'll do our best to dance that dance. We definitely want to give you some background information on the chapters and then talk about writing process and other nerdy things um, as well. So um, if you're listening to this as part of the initial uh, download, or if this is your first, you know, dip of your toe into the Mindframe podcast, um, you can always go to uh Patreon and support us there. And if you like what you're listening to here, then patrons will be able to get this bonus content as well as some other uh, bonus um, goodness. So uh, you'll you'll want to check out at that out as well. Um, I'm joined as always for the sit downs by Zach Smith. Say hello, Zach. Hello. And Brent Van Tassel. Say hello, Brent. Yo. He's our ghost in the shell. He doesn't say much, but he's. <laughs> he types I like on. the idea of Dave and Silent Brent. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> nice. Was Where's the bell? Yeah. I'm more like, I think it's more like Penn and Teller. Maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, um, as always, you can find the fiction of both myself and Zach. If you go to uh, mindframepodcast.com and go to the shop, you can find the books that Zach has written. You can find uh, my book as well. We'll say a little bit more about those at the very end. Um, but in the meantime, we want to get started. And again, uh, like I said, if you if you like what the the goodness that we're about to spit, then um, consider being a patron because after these first couple of episodes, these will be uh, Patreon only bonus episodes. But we do plan on doing one for every single chapter um, throughout the book. So if you want more insight, you'll be able to get it. And then once we start to do reveals of surprises then we can start getting into even more in-depth questions where I'm happy to talk about some of the details because I'm not worried about uh, spoiler alerts. So um, so th these won't be episodes where I first have to say spoiler alert because I just won't. I mean, spoilers. also, if they're listening to stuff in advance without having listened to your chapter, it's their own damn Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you listened in advance, then you might, which is fine because you can come back and hear my take on it yeah, or whatever, but, but there we go. So I'll turn it over to Zach. Um, who is the uh, the interviewer extraordinaire about Mindframe. All right, y'all. Uh, so, Dave, my first question for you, because um, as we move from a very trippy uh, opening into this uh, chapter about Josephine, um, is the split narrative and multiple time periods throughout the novel, is that something you knew you would do from the beginning? Um, yes, I, I did. The... the form sort of follows function on this one like the story has to be told um in this split form um the the, the different there's reasons that every chapter is occurring in different uh time blocks and in totally different locations um it wasn't yeah it wasn't an accident it was definitely it's definitely part of the the overall plan of of what's going on yeah so, for example, one of the time periods is uh, 1959. Would it have mattered if it was 1972? Like, did it have to take place in 1959? Oh, very good question. Um, 
No, it wouldn't have mattered if it was 1972. Like that, the the time itself is much less important than other issues that are involved in that character's life. Okay. Yeah, I was just kind of for curious. some. Then again, for some for some chapters, for yeah. some other chapters, like some of the other chapters, even as I was conceiving it, no, this one has to be in a certain timeline. But there are some of the chapters I could have picked a different time, and it wouldn't have impacted the overall story. But some of the chapters had to happen exactly when they happened. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, so chapter one um, in in deals with Josephine and and her rebuilding. Uh, this Victorian house that belonged to her husband. And mm -hmm. there's a widow referenced in the opening. I'm going to guess and make the jump. You don't have to confirm this or not, that Josephine is this widow because she lost her husband in the fire. Um, can you speak and talk about the hotel, the Victorian home at all? Like what made you pick such a location? Yeah, first off, I will say there is a Josephine and Josephine... Um, is or is not a widow. Oh, I will, okay. I will okay. say that's as much as I can right. say hmm. on that. There is a Josephine. Um, there might, there might be more than one Josephine. Oh, okay. Um, but um, I can't, I really can't say a whole lot about that. Okay. But as far as the hotel itself goes, the hotel um, is, I think when I was really, when I was thinking about it the other day, the hotel, which they call the Old Dame, like I picture, like growing up in Michigan, um, there's always like the big place on the outskirts. Yeah, you know the I old rundown. Like a smaller Madonna's Inn. In no, this my one, head. Yeah, this one's bigger. Yeah. This one's like this one is like three wings, three stories, okay. fairly big. Oh, so like size, picture, yeah, yeah it's sizable. Is it sizable. in any way the reference to your childhood, like growing up in that conference center, like? Yes and no. I, I don't think I it's, thought about that a lot just because I know you personally. I'm sure it is. Like I, I grew up, for those of you who don't know, um, I had a very strange childhood. I lived in Battle <laughs> Creek, Michigan. I lived on a lake called St. Mary's Lake. And on St. Mary's Lake was a place called the Michigan Education Association Conference Center. And it was built when, you know, big auto was the thing and Michigan was flush with money. And there was so much money in the state that even the teachers association had bling, right? I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> how much money Michigan had. As a teacher, had. I have no yeah, idea what exactly. that is like. So the teacher association built this place. It was on dozens of acres um, on the lake, and it was a conference center. So K through 12, any um, summer camp that was done by K through 12 or any conference of any sort, K through 12, anywhere in Michigan, instead of going to a hotel, instead of doing whatever, they went to the conference center. So it was a hotel. It had a ballroom, it had a hotel wing, it had uh, dormitories, it had, uh, I think, six uh, summer camp cabins, um, industrial kitchen, uh, a whole wing of conference rooms. It was just a giant... You the know, Shining, like, basically. Like The, the Shining, shining. Yeah. But, but it was it was more... I mean, the, the hotel wing was there, but the hotel wing wasn't as important as the conference part and the... The, because that's what you know took place. Even if you go into a regular, like a big hotel yeah. for a conference, there's all kind ground floor. There's just endless conference yeah. rooms, and you kind of don't pay attention to it. And then the hotel just goes up. But um, so this place, my mom got hired as the um, assistant director, and she was only there. Uh, she was basically there on as it was shutting down. So we moved from California back to Michigan. 
And then about six months later, it shut down and they kept her on um, because she knew a lot about the the place and the day-to-day operations. They kept her on as the caretaker of the of the grounds, the groundskeeper. So um, any the idea was anytime someone wanted to come, if they wanted to look to buy it, she was there to walk them through the property, to tell them the features. We used to have to do the rounds at night and make sure all the do- doors were locked and nothing was open because it was like, come on, if you were a teenager, of course that was the place you wanted yeah. to be. That sounds terrifying. You so had to make we, sure all the ghosts were in the correct room. Yes, and they- it was very, very, <laughs> very haunted. Um, in fact, I'll probably, by the time this releases, I will have told a ghost story or two from the conference center on the Ectoplasm podcast, oh, nice. which is a member of the Podbelly Network, as are we. Does that structure still exist? Like, can you Google Earth it? Oh, yeah, it still exists. Yeah, so there, and to make things even... Is it a functional even, place? Yeah. Is it a mental institution or something it's cool? It's for closed head trauma live-in uh, patients. Uh, so the ghosts are, are even happier now, you know. Um, but at least that was the case 15 years ago. The last time I looked into it, it that's what it was. But... Um, so definitely like the idea of living in this empty space where you hear things mm. and things are weird. And like, you know, I would be in the offices typing a letter to my dad on a typewriter and like the elevator would keep opening on the floor I'm on. And then I yeah. would get mad at my brother because it was obviously him. And then I would call the house because we lived in an outside house that was, you know, a couple hundred yards away from the conference center, but on the same property. And like my brother would answer the phone. And I'm like, I'm going to take the stairs and leave, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but <laughs> so the place is very creepy and empty, but I mean, just awesome. I mean, imagine being in third, fourth, fifth grade in this splendorous, right. you know, you know, we had a dock and a, you know, boats. And I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable. So, I mean, that sense of living in a space like that is definitely part of, of the DNA of this. But then I think the visual of what I picture um, is actually across the lake, there was a mansion. There were two mansions because Battle Creek was the home of W.K. Kellogg. Right. And I don't know who owned these two mansions. For all I know, one of them could have been a Kellogg. But they're massive, like Professor X could live there. Right, right. You know, one of them and turned the into Black a convent at some point. <laughs> Nuns lived there when we were in the conference center. And the other one was just kind of closed. And every so often a wedding would happen there or something. So I don't know who owned it, but no one lived there. And I recently saw like last week, I saw some real estate lift listings from like 2008 that it was on sale. And there's like photos of it. And it's just like this giant proper brick mansion from mm. like the 1920s or 1800s or something. But I, I just picture a space like that. Just, you know, those places outside of town that once were a thing or, you know, the rich guy that built the big building in your town and had a mansion outside right. of town and then they lost it in the big, you know, crash and then the place fell to shit and teens go there to screw and spray paint the wall, you know. I'm picturing one of those places, but they had money. Um, uh, Josephine and her husband, husband had a lot of money from his real estate holdings, so they bought it, they fixed it up, and they turned it into an Airbnb, even though it's way over scale. 
Like you, it's not, it's too big to be an Airbnb, right. but they don't want it to be a hotel because right. that's just too much work. So they'll like open up a wing and have a handful of people stay there and they can go down to the, to Lake Okungo. They kind of describe it as way. like a bed and breakfast in the mm-hmm. novel, don't they? Yeah. I yeah. said an Airbnb, yeah. take out yeah. air. Yeah. <laughs> just a, just a and b Yeah. They wanted it to be like an old school bed and breakfast yeah. and, you know, they can interact with the people who come up and it's sort of their, you know, re- you know, even though she's young, she's only in her thirties, but he was older and he he's rich enough to retire super early and they're just like you know we're gonna drop out of society we're gonna live in this beautiful lake in the mountains um and just kind of do our thing and that's sort of the the nature of it that's kind of the dream right to have that like fuck off money like hey yeah. like i'm out yeah. of here bye yeah Peace. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yep and um, that's what they have so is, is there anything you want to add about the hotel anything that could give our readers some interest or do you want me to move on? Do not um, want to give anything away? The, the hotel is far more important than it may seem. Gotcha. That's, that's about as much as I can say. Okay. The, the hotel, the hotel is a crux to the entire story. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then now yep. I will not push it further. Right. All right. So the next question, um, how do you structure the narrative? Do you write chapter to chapter or is it each person's narrative first and then you move on to the next? I.e. you write all of Josephine's chapters and then you write all of Teddy's chapters or is it Josephine, Teddy, and then the next person, the next person, etc.? I write them in the order they're presented, but I map it all out beforehand. Okay. And I like process wise, I map it out with a piece of paper on the wall and I map it out with a timeline of self-imposed due dates. Gotcha. So I'm like, by are there, the... Are there tax and red yarn? No, <laughs> I, I should move up to that. No. I should graduate to tax and red yarn. <laughs> You're not doing it right. Yeah. No. Is it the Joseph Heller wall either? No, it's really, it's really okay. small. Because I already know, like I already know yeah. Josephine's story arc. Gotcha. And then I think, where can I do... Because for this, writing this as a book, not a podcast, my goal was to make each chapter land at about 20 pages. Mm. So I would try to map it out in 20-page chunks of the overall story. And then I would say, okay, for my own timeline, I need to write, I need to be done with a draft of Josephine's by the 15th. And then that gives me a week to write a draft of the next one. And then a week to write a draft of the next one. Even though I know that it's going to literally, it might take me a week to write a draft and it will honestly take me a year to edit the draft to get where I feel it's good enough to be publishable. Gotcha. Um, so I write them in the order because I want, and I even plan, like I even thought way ahead because I was like, wow, these, this person's storyline and this person's storyline and this person's storyline are really slow right here. Yeah. I, I feel like it wouldn't even be like Zach's question either or. It might be a hybridized version of like you might have to stop on Josephine and jump over and be like, oh, maybe we're right. Like, I know where Josephine's kinda, going kinda here. Figure this out and then go, okay, now I can go back there. Yeah. Right. Or are you sitting there like, I know you, I, you're very good about visualizing and having all that in your head. Like, Dave has told me stories where I'm like, that's an entire novel, <laughs> an entire other planet, another world, another time period, and another universe. Right. And I'm like, is any of this written down? Right. You know, like we did Project Orion, and that's a mm-hmm. whole other thing, like on the right. podcast. And right. that's a whole other thing. Like, I can't believe that that you have all that in your head. So do do you do that? Do you do you jump from Josephine and then jump over to this other chapter a little bit and then jump back? Or is it all that one thing where you sit down and finish out 20 pages? The only jumping around that I'll do is when I write like I'll, if I'm, cause I'll write, you know, I might only write one page one day or three yeah, pages yeah. one day or something like that. And 
I'm usually pretty cold when I start. So I look at a previous chapter and I read the whole chapter and edit it. And I look at stupid sentences and make them less stupid. And I cut out that awkward thing. And I, so I'll reread a whole chapter just in edit mode. But more and grammatical it, and stylistic. Just grammatical. Yeah. yeah. Just, just stylistic. Like, you know, I just put, he walked down the sidewalk and then I'm like, what was on the sidewalk? What was the weather like? What was he thinking? What was he wearing? And I just, you know, I, I layer it, just add layer on layer on layer to make it get more rich and feel alive. And I'll go through that and then I'll have another cup of coffee and I'll sit back down and then I continue to write the chapter. I just thought more about like how things are intertwined or connected, like con was, continuity. Yeah. And I was going to say the same thing. Like, are you checking for those, as Brent said, the continuity details? Like, are you having to go through and like, well, I know now I've mentioned this in another character's chapter and does it reflect something in a previous character's chapter, do I have to go back and fix those? For the most part, it's those? already figured out. Okay. For the most part, those references are there. But like when I wrote the six paradigm books, I got to like, cause it's, again, it gets kind of, it, it starts to sound weird and I sound like some weird pompous writer, but it's like the characters just start to do things that I didn't plan on. Yeah. Like when I wrote the um, 181 Pine, there were like two of the major characters um, fall in love and that was never the plan. Like they don't fall in love. Like that wasn't the story arc. That wasn't the plan. And then the first chapter where they were like hanging out, they were holding hands. And I was like, why are these two well, holding hands? Like, I mean, they have characteristics and personas. Like it's just evolution. Like you almost create a sort of AI that's right. a subset of your regular consciousness because yeah. you're taking on the part of a character. Right. And it's just the next logical yeah. thing. And like, then, well, so probably when that happens, I do have to go back and change the continuity because I might have written two chapters where these two aren't in love. And it's like, well, they're a couple. Like now they've always been a couple. So yeah. I have to fix that. Like the worst one that happened to me was I was in the second book of the Six Paradigm stuff and a character. Um, ends up killing another character and taking his motorcycle. And I suddenly realized there were like four or five chapters in book one where he should have had that motorcycle already. Mm. So I was like, <laughs> so I had to go back and it wasn't released yet, but I was still like, I got to go back and give him this motorcycle. So then I had to go back and find every instance where he was in a car or he was doing something and it had to be him riding this motorcycle. And it had to work. And it had to yeah. work, you know, and later on, you know, he, killed the guy and took his motorcycle, <laughs> you know, so. I think, like, what reveals most to me when I'm writing for a character is the dialogue. When I'm, like, initially in my head, this character is very nice, they're very gracious, and then, like, somebody says something mean to them, and a nice, gracious person might shrug that off, but then, like, I'm sitting there in the moment, and I'm like, nah. No, right, right. I wouldn't. That person wouldn't sit there and take that because that's not within their character, and so it does. Ch it does change as like they they start to interact with each other, and right. kind of like you said, there was maybe some sort of subconscious interaction in these two characters before they met, and um, and now all of a sudden they were a couple. Um, and see, I it, it's interesting you say that because for me it's the exact opposite because the dialogue never makes those character changes mm. for me. It's always the narration. Like there's two characters who hate each other's guts. And I didn't realize it until they were sitting at a table drinking coffee with each other. And I was just describing the fact that they were sitting there drinking coffee. And like the way the one guy was looking at the other guy, 
was just like, and I suddenly realized he can't stand that yeah, guy. I and it's like, I didn't <laughs> even, it's like, I didn't even know that, but all of a sudden he doesn't like him. Gotcha. And the other guy's completely oblivious yeah. to the fact that this guy doesn't like him. So for me, it's always the narrative when I'm writing, when I'm adding those details, editing later, all of a sudden I stumble upon something someone's doing. And I'm like, you don't, why are you doing that? You know, I mean, it took me two and a half books of the other thing before I realized one of the main characters, Finn, I was like, wow, he's really, he's just a, he's just like, he's a violent fucker that flies <laughs> off the handle. He just flies off the handle and hurts people. And it's like, I never. Like, I like how you realize that two books in when I'm reading the first fucking chapter and he like knocks a dude down and yeah. maybe kind of collapses his trachea yeah. or something like, right. yeah. and yeah. But no, I was, and I knew that character well, but I never, and it was another character looking at him and thinking about him. And he was like that violent psychopath yeah. Finn. And I was like, he is a violent psychopath, <laughs> isn't he? You know, so it's, it's interesting. Really the, the origins of creativity are just a mystery. It's really weird. Like you created this character and it exists in some universe, but in some way it's like an artificial space. Like you have, you know, kids play Minecraft or something mm -hmm. right. that exists in mm -hmm. an almost a tangible environment in a computer simulation. Right. But something like a book that hasn't been made into a movie, like, you know, Harry Potter exists. Everyone knows who right. it is. Right. But prior to that, when it was just a book, it existed in a realm that was just a collective of imagination. Mm -hmm. Alan like, Moore calls it idea space. Okay. So there, there you go. I didn't know that existed. Yeah. Right. Kind of pull right. from it's what Young referred to as the subconscious. Grant Morrison calls it the super context. Like we all are pulling from something. Yeah, it's we just a collective. Don't of, know what of, it is. Of yeah. thousands or millions of individuals yep. have mm -hmm. this picture of this character that you described, and it becomes a living thing of sorts. Yeah, right. It's the whole matrix that what you touch and what you taste is this is real. Like, and all those people have an, a vision of that thing. That character exists it's more than like Joe Blow on the corner that like sweeps. No one knows who that guy is. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. thousand That's people. a good point. And yeah. the interesting <laughs> thing too is like, let's take Finn again. Like. It took you that long to realize he's a violent psychopath. I kind of spotted it right away. Somebody sure. else might think he's the most lovely human right. being that's ever existed. It's all, and they all exist, and they all exist differently too for each mm -hmm. of us. Like right. they're, they're, it's like a fractal. Like we're just kind of, or um, kind of like a like a piece of jewelry. Like you catch each kind of. I wish spot. you could. I wish we could project or visualize like what you, like you see Casey Kasem finally. Yeah. And you're like, wow, I didn't think you sounded like that. Yeah. Right. And, you know, right. And, and Dave and I have that all the time. Like people on Soap King are constantly get on a live feed and say that doesn't look anything like right. That. Right. Like, right. Everyone thinks I look they like Sons of Anarchy and sound like Justin Timberlake. <laughs> you know, like things like that. And so yeah, everyone has a different visualization yep. unless it was some kind of graphic novel and there's a real picture that yeah. exists of it. But I just think it's neat that you, that where does, what is the origin of creativity? Like where right. did that come from? Some right. Akashic record in uh, the universe. Exactly. Cosmological Wi-Fi that right. Dave has yeah. where yeah. he dreams about, you know. And it's almost, it's almost like when you, when your internet speed sucks and you see a page slowly, like a photo slowly coming into 4k focus and at first it's a little bit blurry yeah. and then like every time it hops it gets clearer and clearer and clearer until like damn that's a crystal clear picture it's like the first draft is that pixelated thing yeah and every jump forward just adds layers of detail that i didn't know were there well, you, you know de you definitely dream cooler than me that's for sure <laughs> yeah, you've got hd <laughs> dreams i got like dial up for sure and I, I will say a weird like it's from sofa king podcast when we do our meetups and when we meet people um, it, or even just interacting online in the group or whatever, it took a long time. It took a couple of years for me. Like when we, when we go to our meetups and for those of you who don't listen to that podcast, we'll have meetups and our, our, our listeners will show up and so forth. And, um, 
I'll start to tell a story, you know, we'll be at a bar drinking a whiskey to someone who I've literally just met, you know, I've seen their name online, we've interacted on Facebook, and I'll be like, oh, oh, yeah, that's crazy, that reminds me of the time that me and my brother were on the lake, and they'll like be like, oh, and yeah, and then you got on the boat, and you blah, 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 and I'm like, that's weird. Right. Why do you know <laughs> this thing about, and then it's like, so that's a weird, like that, it took a while to get yeah. used to that, but I'm used to it. The thing I'm not used to and don't know that I will be is when I've been living in a book for years that I'm writing and no one else has seen it and no one else has been there. And then like a handful of people like Zach or whoever will read early drafts and give me some feedback. But then once the book is done and out and someone will like tell me about a chapter, I'm like my initial reaction is, how did you read that? Where'd you get that? Like, did you... (laughs) Like in your head, where, like this, like this isn't your space. Like this is my space. Like that's my character. Right. Like it's all, it always feels like an intrusion. It's very strange. And I'm, I'm trying to, to grapple with it. Oh, but. No, I think that's a real thing. I, I, I remember musicians talking about how like an album's their baby until they give it to the record company. Right. And then it's like, we're fucked. If yeah. This is somebody else's. This right. belongs to everybody now. Right, right. And and I, I I agree with you. Like, I'm very, in a weird way, protective of my characters. You know, when somebody gives me an interpretation and they're like, I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I'm like, no. No. That's, that's, yeah. that's no. completely wrong. But, but yes. I give them the Wallace yeah. Stevens answer, which right. is, that exactly. is the greatest that's interpretation the I've ever interpretation heard. interpretation ever. Because at the end of the day, you put the stuff in the page yep. that made him interpret it that yep. way. So, you know, and like I said, I misinterpreted my own character for 700 pages. So what am I supposed to say when someone else interprets it differently, right. you know? Yeah. And I, I think to kind of put a close on this uh, this section of of this of this talk about like where does it come from? A current theory I have is mitochondrial DNA. How you know how it passes? Like it, this is what tells like squirrels to go get yeah uh, you know a nut mm-hmm. or to dig a hole to avoid predators. I think for humans we have those same basic survival ones, but because we are self aware, there's that mitochondrial thing that does pass on ideas. And that's why we are able to have a version of Cinderella in China that was never interacting with the French version of Cinderella and they both exist and it's fine or versions of gods because it's just within our, it's like an inherent need within us to tell stories. Right. And just like you put an interpretation on something and that's why every version has a creation myth and you know these certain archetypes exist everywhere so I think it's built into us and I think the mitochondrial DNA because it's what's passed on throughout the millennia that's what's right. maybe doing it i right. don't know it's right. just a current theory i have on it i'm digging it all right so the next uh, question kind of uh jumping back to what we were talking about earlier so characters seem to jump to different time periods is there anything you can tell us as to why this happens or should we just avoid um yeah characters will be in multiple uh timelines yeah, they, and that's do, they do that. That's okay. all I, I can okay. I can I can say no Just more. Just pay attention. Yeah, pay attention. Pay attention. Cool. Yeah, it doesn't and it doesn't happen with everybody. Gotcha. Like I'll also say that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So pay attention. Don't be a dumbass. All right. Next one. Uh, I sense bits of what I once heard you term as posthumanism. What would you define that as? Posthumanism is um, what I would define it as. I mean, anything that we look at, like what. Everyone's going to have a different, like if you took a, a room full of 30 people and said, write down the 20 things that, that make you a human being, 
no two lists are going to be the same. Mm -hmm. But at the core of it, you know, you're probably going to get a top 10 that almost everybody has. You know, we age, we die, we have sexual urges and reproduction, we have to eat, we have to breathe air, you know. Um, these are the basics of being a human being. My muscles can only ever get so strong. My eyes can only ever be so good. My, you know, even if I'm Lance Armstrong and I have like a mutant bike racer heart that lets me go farther than everybody else just because of a weirdness in my heart, that's still human. That's the yeah. outlier of, of the effectiveness of a human heart and lungs. When you reach post-humanism, you start to have technologies that destroy those distinctions. Okay. So once you get someone who won't age, you're starting to get in towards some post-humanism. If you get someone who has a hack on their muscles where they can be 10, you know, a human being can now be as strong as a silverback gorilla, that's not human, right? right. But... In which it, we do see some of in the prelude, that's what kind of made me think of this question. Like yeah, you start to... Those elements. Those elements start to, start to creep in whether like for my definition of posthumanism, I I think it's only there like because so if I'm me exactly like I am, but I have some hack to my eyes that give me eyes as good as a hawk's, I'm still a human being. Yeah, you know what I mean. And some people would even argue that the glasses that you wear right now are right, exactly. part of that hack. Right. So at a but there's so if I get those eyes, I'm a human being. If I'm suddenly as strong as a silverback and I have those eyes. Yeah, I'm probably still a human being. But if I have those eyes and I'm as strong as a silverback and I no longer age and I don't need to breathe oxygen, at a certain point you have to be like, is that dude even a what, human being What if anymore? more than 50% of the population also has those abilities and attributes, though? Then it's evolution. And it's still human. It's just the newest evolution. The True, step. but I think a lot of people would say it's not human anymore. That's a, that's a race that's become something different. Right. That's like looking at the X-Men and saying they're no longer, you know... Uh, right, they're homo like, superior or whatever. Right, exactly. Yeah. You would need to have a different term for that race because I don't think it would be a human being anymore. So you would say there is a threshold. You're just not sure maybe where that I would say, yeah, I would lies. say there's a threshold. In my mind, I don't, I don't think anybody in this book at this point has gone past a, a human threshold. Okay. So, okay. but... Um, wasn't sure if I was maybe then. Maybe I'm misreading something. No, I think because anytime you see a cyborg, anytime you see yeah, someone who I doesn't age, yeah. anytime you see someone who, I mean, even, you know, if you see Does someone with it matter with if a, it's organic versus like uh, artificial? Like I don't think so. I mean, if I, if you just hacked my DNA or, you know, regrew, you know, cut my legs off and regrew better legs using some. I see a distinction hack. there. Like the glasses, like uh, Zach's argument would be like, well, that's just a mechanical device you put on you. You're a human. Right. You're just wearing like, oh, I can carry stuff because I have a backpack. Like I the, can, the I can read better. Runner guy. But when you modify right. like DNA or something, start using CRISPR technology or something and you edit your gene. Yeah. Now yeah. you're almost a different creature, a different yeah. species of sorts. Where if you're just wearing headphones or like a hearing aid or you've got glasses. Those are just, you're still the same human. You know what I mean? If you, you know, you put glasses on a monkey, it doesn't make them not a monkey. They're still a monkey. They right. can just see better or whatever. Have you, you seen know? the harder, right. better, faster, stronger yeah. or whatever? Because like he makes that argument that like we're all in some way, shape or form doing some form of enhancement. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if you were born with like, in a, quote unquote, like 
inferior lungs, lungs that didn't function as well as others, you're able to get an inhaler that pr provides you with a steroid to then put you at that same level as somebody right. else. So then what does it matter if somebody's taking an additional steroid right. that enhances right. their strength? Right. Yeah. You know, and I don't agree with that personally because I would rather like I personally would rather watch a, an equal playing field of sports where nobody's enhanced. But I can see where his argument's coming from. Right. Or you have a whole separate league where everyone can do whatever yeah, they yeah, want. Yeah, fucking right. get jacked on yeah. whatever, and then yeah. you know, yeah. su suplex. People. I think I think the mechanical organic thing, like for me, I think like you're still human. You can put all kinds of tech on. You can be a yeah. mech suit. If you're in a mech suit, you can. Well, do but all then, but then scrap stuff. the suit. Like if you cut like. If you cut my legs off to give me mechanical legs that are more efficient, and it wasn't because I was in an accident, I just want better legs. Like some humans are born with no legs, though. You're still true. human. But I just, it, but I think you're it, saying yeah. like because you've made the choice to move past it, that that is different than somebody born without legs, like the South African runner guy. Is that what? Or am I just reading that? No, wrong? I'm just saying that's a that's that's a perspective to consider. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the line is. Gotcha. I, I personally, I don't see a distinction between organic DNA hacks or true cybernetic body replacement hacks. I think either way, it's pushing you past what the human body is intended to do. Gotcha. Um, but I don't know at what point you would truly become post-human. Right, that threshold. Um, I think we I, just started another podcast. Though. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. <laughs> and I don't, like I said, I don't know. I mean, there's a handful of characters in here that are definitely enhanced from anything that we would have right now. Um, but in my mind, I still look at them all as, as human. Gotcha. And yeah. I would say... I mean, I don't know for sure because I haven't gotten book three yet, but maybe there's some post-human characters in uh, the Chama series. 100%. Okay, cool. Yes. All right, uh, so let's move on to the next one. Um, in this chapter, we have Josephine kind of dealing with the grief of her um, husband's death. Um, allegedly. Allegedly, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I often use my writing to process my feelings about things that I can't fully articulate in like a simple sentence or two or a paragraph you feel you you do the same like is there any sort of grief you might have been dealing with that maybe went into this chapter no i don't not in this chapter i mean i've written pieces that directly tap into grief from like deaths of loved ones mm. um i think it's you know i do I, I watch a lot of interviews with actors and you know at, you know one of my degrees is in theater so i studied acting quite a bit and you learn like different methods of of acting and you know some schools of acting thought are to summon up like if i if my character needs to be grieving i'm going to go back to the moment my mom died and summon all that emotion up and then show it while I read my lines. And some people are like, no, that doesn't work. Like, that's not how it does it for me. This character needs to be grieving, not me. Right. You know, so I think the older I am and I think the more grief I've experienced, I think the more robust my grieving scenes become. Because even like this grieving scene doesn't really consciously in any way touch on grief that I've gone through. Gotcha. Um, but I know... I wouldn't have been able to write it with any level of detail if I didn't go through the griefs and the deaths that I that I have gone through. But this this particular chapter, it wasn't. A, and again, you know, referring back to there is a death chapter in 181 Pine that is like a almost a blow for blow of my mom when she was dying, like every, I hated, cause you know, I edit, I edit, I edit, I edit, and I reread and I reread and I reread. 
And every time I got to that chapter, I was like, holy shit, I have to read this chapter again. Because every single time I got to the end of that chapter, I would be bawling my eyes out because it summoned so much of that particular grief. You can't you really know? write about loss or love unless you've experienced it, you know? Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a scene in Good Will Hunting with Robin Williams telling Matt Damon about, like, you could probably spout off a bunch of stuff about Michelangelo's works, but you've never stood in the Sistine Chapel and right. smelled what it smells like or right. stared up at right. the ceiling. Like, there's obviously going to be a, a much greater influence and, and something that's much more relatable for a reader. Sure. Because it's real. Right. Like you really yeah. know what that's about. Yeah. You just but I also think when it comes, like, even love, like, there's once you've been in love a couple of times you can write about love in the abstract and be more accurate yeah. and you don't have to be addressing things that happened to you when you fell in love because you know love now you know True. what i mean and different types and of different love. types of love yeah. and so so i don't i think the grieve the grieving that she's going through in this chapter would have been very poorly written if it isn't already. It's just about um, perspective, I, really, I it's guess. It's just about yeah, perspective. Yeah. But this wasn't in any way, consciously, like I said, gotcha. this isn't in any way a grief that I was going through. But other stuff that I've done very much was. Very much yeah. influenced. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and I think I know exactly which chapter you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it. 181, yeah. and that was yeah. rough. All right. Um, and um, the last question I had for uh, this chapter one here. Uh, you can hear how your style changes between the different time periods, or at least it feels that way to me. Was that intentional? No, I saw that question and I thought it was very interesting. I, I'm not intentionally shifting my tone or my style um, when I shift through time frames. I might be shifting tone and style. Just, I, I think I'm following yeah. the character more yeah. than I'm following the, the timeline. Um, I think it's just about, I think it's, I think the setting might be important, yeah. but I don't think it matters what year that yeah. setting is. I think, I think if that, if there's a tone shift, it's because I'm going from, you know, a grieving widow to right. a naval captain right? and there's their perspective on the world. I mean, even, you know, looking ahead when we get to the chapter on the naval captain, which is a couple of chapters ahead, she's also gone through a recent loss, but she's not crying and trying to pull herself together she's a naval she's like hard as nails so her grief right. is entirely different so the tone is going to be different based on the character and I, think I think that makes more sense now kind of the way you say it because i look at teddy and i know teddy's coming up after this and it feels just more it just so much more happy like, yeah because of like the He's family happy the family guy. element yeah. Yeah. of of like just like here's this like makeshift family that he's made and it sounds wonderful. And when you contrast with that, the tone of somebody going and grieving a death, yeah, it does make sense yeah. why there would be such a shift. Yeah, between yeah. The so two. I think it's the characters more than more than anything else. So, okay, so that will do it for chapter one. Thank you for listening. Um, if you liked our discussion and want more of it, make sure that you consider visiting Patreon, um, where you'll uh, have access to these on a regular basis. Um, as always, uh, take a look. Do you want to plug the names of your books again, Zach? Uh, yeah, we have uh, Wolves at the Door, which is a dystopic novel. Uh, Hotel California, which is a horror novel kind of uh, influenced by things like The Shining and The Stand. Um, and then we have Shoot and Over, which are both about professional wrestling. Uh, and Over is a short story collection about different characters from the novel Shoot. And you can find all of those from him, and you can find the re-release of 181 Pine, um, on the uh, website mindframe.com mindframepodcast.com um, you can find out uh, information about podcasting and how to podcast on uh, podbelly.com 
uh, Mindframe is a Podbelly original, and you can go there to find other podcasts such as Hillbilly Horror Stories. Good job. And podcasts we listen to. Podcasts we listen to. Thank you. I was struggling. <laughs> Um, there's a lot on there. There's a lot yeah. on there. There's a network of podcasts. You can listen to to many of them, but uh, go check it out. Um, and with that, keep in mind, Valeria is closing.